Part 2 Chapter 13 Drew continued her lessons with her father, then with the others that her father brought in to train her. Drew learned to control her power to be more precise when she used it. She also learned through the other teachers her father brought in about more mundane things like mathematics and science and history. The teachers were all human. They all apparently knew her father, knew all about who he was and what he did. Many of them seemed to fear him and her as well. Drew's father had forbidden her to teach Penny much about his own power, only how to keep it under control. Under her father's orders, she said nothing about the Astraeids, letting the parasite stay attached to Penny, though he was not even aware of it. Penny was still permitted to learn more mundane subjects, so she brought him books from the library on physics and history and mathematics, and he read them, she thought. At least he was able to discuss the books with her afterwards. Drew began considering Penny a friend without even realizing it. He was the only person she spoke to who didn't serve her father or have any interest in her training. They spent a lot of time talking about their lives, and she learned how Penny had grown up without any parents at all, being moved from one foster home to another, one school to another, and how he never had any friends. She knew she was the first real friend Penny had ever had. There were no incidents with Penny. He was not permitted to see anyone except for the Inklings who brought him his meals and maintained his clothes, taking and leaving things for him. Lala and the others only said what they needed to say to Penny and no more. Drew could feel that they were afraid of him. A year passed before Drew even knew it, then two years. She grew in her power, learning as much as she could, as quickly as she could, though her father didn't take her on any more excursions. He would leave on occasions, sometimes for several days, but Drew didn't take advantage of his absence to violate the agreement she had with him regarding Penny. One day they were in Penny's rooms, having finished their lunch and their lessons for the morning. What's it like outside, Penny asked. Father says we're near an ocean. There's a village nearby with people and inklings, Drew said. You mean you haven't seen it for yourself, Penny asked. Drew thought about it for a moment. No, she said, astonished that she hadn't even thought about it since her conversation with her father before. I guess I've just been busy. Then how do you come and go from this place? The Walk of Worlds, Drew said. Father has a place in his rooms that is a path you can take to anywhere. Really? I'd like to see that. I doubt he'll permit it, and he keeps the door to it locked, and he has the only key, Drew said quickly. Still, I'd like to have a look one day. I bet he'll let me if you ask him. He won't, Penny. I've been here all this time, and I haven't caused any trouble. I haven't done anything. I've done everything you expect of me but you still keep me locked in this room. Can I at least walk around, look around this place? That I may be able to do. I'll ask Father. There was a knock at the door and Drew opened it. Her father stood there, dressed with his coat, hat, and holding his umbrella, which he always did when he was going out. Change into something warm and sturdy, he told Drew. We're going somewhere, Drew asked. Yes, 
Where? Drew asked. Penny said nothing, but she could feel him tensing at the side of her father, wondering if this would be the day when he would finally be killed. Drew's father said nothing to Penny, simply stepping aside as she came out of the room, closing the door and locking it. I don't know, he said as she went into her own room. She paused at the doorway. How could you not know, she asked. Because we're going to respond to a summons. I don't know which one yet. Why not? Because I'm going to let you decide. It was hard deciding what to wear when she didn't know where she was going. She decided to dress in layers so if it was too hot she could take off the outer ones and wear a pair of sturdy tennis shoes to protect her feet from unknown hazards. Her father stood out in the hall while she dressed herself. When she came out, he led her back to his rooms. Why are we doing this? Drew asked, walking over to stand in front of the door to the Walk of Worlds. Your training has been going well, he said, unlocking the door. I believe it's time for a little test. What kind of test? Drew asked. He stood aside and gestured that she should go first. She stepped over the threshold and he followed, closing the door. The path was still lined with the whirlwinds. They had changed quite a bit since she'd last seen them. People gave up when their father didn't respond and new people tried to summon him. They all looked different. They all had slightly different shape and color and she knew that was influenced by the person who was doing the summoning. Choose, he said. He nodded at the path. Reach out and let your fingers brush against one to get an idea of the summoner. Okay, Drew said. She walked to the first one and reached out carefully until her fingertips were just inside of it. It was cold inside the thing, she thought. She knew the instant her fingers were inside it, though it was like touching the wind. She closed her eyes and felt. It was a man. He wanted money and power. His mind was cold, hard, cruel, and he thought of no one but himself. She withdrew her hand from that one and moved on to the next. It was the same thing, except this one was a woman. She turned to her father. They all want the same things. What would those be? Power, money, fame. Yes, you begin to see why I rarely respond, he said. Surely someone out there wants you to help someone who's sick or something. Almost certainly. So, what should I look for? As I said, I'm going to let you decide. Okay, Drew said. She started walking along the path, letting her fingers brush the things as she did so, like someone walking next to a picket fence holding a stick, letting it rattle along. They were all pretty much the same, the same she thought, and she was about to give up when she finally found one that was a little different. She paused, closing her eyes, pushing her hand deeper into it. This one is not like the other, she said. This woman is not looking for power or fame or money, Drew said. What does she want? Her child was killed. She wants revenge. Well, now, that's as good a quest as any, don't you think? Her father asked. She extended her hand further into the whirlpool and felt it drawing her in. Her father stepped into it, too, and suddenly she was falling. 
It was like the walk of worlds, but much faster. To begin with, she was scared until she felt that she was actually under control, that she was going to land safely at her destination. Then it became fun. Her father was next to her, arms at his sides, as she extended hers like she'd seen Superman do in the movies. When we arrive, we will probably be in a pentagram or some other nonsense, he said, raising his voice to be heard over the roar of the wind in Drew's ears. Really? Drew asked. There is no one who has the power to contain us, so it will just be designs on the floor, outlined with chalk. But it may be best if we acted as if we were constrained by it. Why? Drew had to shout herself to make herself heard over the rushing wind. Always appear to be weaker than you are. You never know when that will work to your advantage. Okay, Drew said. She enjoyed the ride for a while and then felt she was slowing. Almost there, her father said. She looked up and saw that she was indeed heading towards a pentagram, a star in a circle drawn on a stone floor. She shifted herself so that she could land on her feet. Her father did the same and he tucked the umbrella under one arm as they both landed lightly in the middle of that pentagram. There was a lit candle at each point of the star. Someone was just outside of the design, kneeling, face down on the floor, wearing a dark robe. Drew glanced around and saw that they were in an old house. Part of the roof was missing, and she could feel that it was night outside. The figure on the floor sat up, and Drew knew this was the woman she'd felt when she touched the summoning. She was wearing a heavy robe with a hood that she pulled over her head. As she sat up, she drew the hood down so Drew could see her face in the dim light. She looked old, Drew thought, though she felt the woman wasn't quite as old as she appeared. Her circumstances had aged her. Thank you for responding to my summons, O sorcerer, the woman said. Her voice was raspy, and Drew knew she'd been chanting for several days nonstop. What do you want of me? her father asked. You bring another? the woman asked, looking at Drew, her eyebrows climbing, confused. A child? Yes. What do you want? Vengeance on that which murdered my son, she said. There will be a price. I expect to be asked to pay one. What is your name? Drew's father asked. Susan, the woman said. What happened to your son? he asked. She took a deep breath and slowly let it out and Drew could hear the sobs she was fighting to keep inside. This place belonged to my husband. He died a few years ago and we came here to recover. One day, my son, Gabe, went outside to play in an old church not far away. I told him to stay away from there. It was dangerous, but he didn't listen. He went there playing and something caught him. I don't know what. Nobody knows. I found his body in the middle of the floor. He was shriveled like he'd been dead for months instead of just a few minutes. Something had drained the life from him and left him there. How old was he? Drew asked. He was seven, Susan said. Did he have power too? Drew's father asked. He did. He was stronger than me. Drew didn't think, really, that was saying, saying much, as she could barely sense the woman's power. 
but she'd been chanting and kneeling for over three days. We will seek out and destroy whatever did this to him, Drew's father said, but you must pay your price in advance. I will pay anything. In the future, you will experience great joy, great happiness and contentment, Drew's father said. That will be my price. If I do this thing for you from this day forward, you will never know happiness. Are you willing to pay? I can't imagine ever being happy again, no matter what you say. Yes, I will pay it, Susan said. Very well, Drew's father stood a little taller and held out his left hand, palm facing her, closing his eyes, and Drew could sense power gathering around his hand, reaching out and touching Susan, dancing around her head. Susan gasped, closing her own eyes as he worked. Finally, he withdrew. Release us from this place and we will get started, he said. I release you, O sorcerer, Susan said. He stepped out of the pentagram and Drew followed him. There was a vague buzziness that she'd been hearing before, one she was barely aware of, that was now gone completely. Is there anything else you require of me, Susan asked. Remain here. I will call you when it's time, he said, walking through the door to the outside, Drew following. She was glad she wore some warm clothes. It was late fall, she felt, and the weather was beginning to get cold. They were high on a mountain, she could tell, heavily wooded. They'd been speaking with Susan in the remains of a big old cabin. She could see, also see the ruins of the church where young Gabe had met his end, about a hundred yards away. It was very old, most of the roof gone, the windows broken. Beside it were a few graves in an old cemetery. I can feel something there, Drew said. Very good, her father said. It's a long way away, though. It lives in a different world, and it hasn't been here in a long time. Yes, their shoes crunched on the ground as they walked. How do you do that? Take her happiness, and how did you know that she was fated to be happy? He snorted. I didn't. It was a simple parlor trick. I took nothing from her. You lied, Drew asked. Indeed, I did. Why? The cost of summoning me or you must be very high, and we must insist on getting payment. If you don't, you'll have every conjurer and trickster in existence thinking you are at his, his or her beck and call. But if she becomes happy, she won't. She won't allow it. Never again. They had reached the church, and they stood there looking at it. This place is the lair for something that does not live on this world. There's a trap inside, one that will be sprung when someone who with power enters. Whoever, whatever is here feeds on it. Just like Kula? Probably not the same sort of creature, but yes. Gabe must have been powerful. Yes, more powerful than his mother, else she would have been caught herself. What do we do, Drew asked as they stood in front of the place. It's a trap. The surest way to find out what sort of creature set it is to spring it. Do you mean go inside and let it catch you? Drew stood at the ruined doorway looking over the interior. The pews had been removed. The altar was gone. 
The back part of the roof had collapsed and she could see exposed timbers there. This is a very old place, Drew said. Likely this church has been built and rebuilt on this spot for centuries. And more than likely, those that lived here before the Europeans came at some sort of holy place here too. You think it's because of this creature we're looking for? More than likely, such places are often the hunting grounds for otherworldly things. The walls between their world and ours are weakest here. Drew took a deep breath and let it out, slowly, and looked at the room again, this time using her power. There are tiny lines of power all over the place, she said. Do they look like they form a pattern? Her father was still a few steps behind her, and he could not see through the, see through the doorway. Why are you way back there, she asked. One reason we are here is to test your development. I want your opinion before I look myself. Okay, Drew said. They look they look like spider like a spider web. The lines intertwine, forming intricate and sometimes beautiful patterns throughout the place. They were also everywhere, carefully strung so that a person could not go inside the room without touching at least one of them. Penny wants to be able to leave his room, Drew said. This is not the time, Drew, her father said. You want me to go inside. Yes, you'll know what to do. Drew stepped inside and some of the threads moved towards her, attracted to her power. Whatever did this hasn't been here in a long time, she said. Probably since it fed on Gabe, he said, stepping forward so that she could see him in the doorway. She felt the threads brush one of her hands and she tried to shake it off before she thought about it. All she managed to do was intertwine her hand further, pulling more of the threads onto her hand. I'm getting stuck, she said. The webs respond to your power. They don't react to your flesh. But I'm still getting stuck, Drew said, noting that her other hand was also getting tangled in the stuff she felt so sticky, but then didn't. Stop struggling. Relax. Breathe slowly. You are powerful enough to deal with this. You know what it is, she asked. Yes. What is it? You've studied your creature. What do you think it is? She drew paused in her struggles, remembering the many books she'd read about the sort of creatures she may wind up facing. It's an imagin, she finally asked. Is that a question or a statement? It's an umagan, she said again with more confidence, trying to remember what she'd learned about those creatures. Great. How does one defeat an umagan? They're from a place where the pressure is much greater than it is here. They have to cover themselves with a glamour that keeps them from exploding. It can be removed. Very good, Drew. He sounded genuinely pleased for the first time she could remember. Now, where is it? She closed her eyes, holding very still. She could feel it then if she paid attention, a thrumming on the threads growing stronger but still very faint. It's coming, she said. Good. I will fetch our host so she can see it if she wishes. I'll be right back. He turned and stepped out of the doorway while Drew stood there, feeling that thrumming getting stronger and stronger. The Amugan were spider-like creatures, she remembered. Really big spiders. 
if there was one thing Drew hated more than rats, it was spiders. The thrumming was growing stronger, and it was an effort for her not to struggle against the webs. She tried not to panic, knowing that she could handle the creature when it got there. But she didn't like that she couldn't move her hands while she, like she wanted, that they were ensnared by the webbing. She started to fight against them and became more ensnared, which increased her panic, which only made her struggle harder. The thrumming was growing stronger. The Umagin was now not that far away. Drew was hoping her father would return soon before she became so entangled that she couldn't move at all. She closed her eyes and tried to slow her breathing. She could feel her heart hammering in her chest and it seemed like her father was taking hours to return from getting Susan. The thrumming grew even stronger as the thing got closer. She could sense it, a source of power moving closer, getting more distinct as it drew nearer and nearer. Suddenly she could feel it really close by, in the room with her, and she tried to turn but couldn't. The webs trapped her, and when she moved it only got worse. As she turned, she wrapped herself into the strands of sticky, pure energy. Her resolve not to panic weakened as she started struggling trying to free at least one of her hands as she saw a movement out of the corner of her eye. Nothing she'd read said how intelligent the creature was. It could simply be an animal of some kind, acting purely on instinct, or it could be extremely intelligent, formulating plans of attack based on the prey that had become ensnared in its webs. She knew it established a nest in a world nearby, building webs that extended into many worlds, and sat there, endlessly patient, waiting to feel that telltale movement on one of the strands before it came charging out of its nest, finding its prey trapped and helpless. Which Drew herself would be, she thought, as the thing moved a bit more so she could see it better now. It was close enough and powerful enough to be seen in this world now, even by someone who lacked the power that she had. It was, indeed, a spider. It was a lot bigger than she thought it would be, with a bloated thorax and eight legs that arched over its body and a row of dark, expressionless eyes that regarded her from a few feet away. Those eyes were over a mouth from which a pair of dripping fangs protruded. It simply watched her for a long moment and Drew decided the thing was not a simple animal. She could almost feel it considering her, evaluating how it should approach. Drew's power, she knew, was what made her more vulnerable to the trap. Someone with no power at all would just walk through the room and not notice a thing. The more power the prey had, the stickier the webbing became. She remembered that she read that the thing needed to create a cloak of power for itself to keep from exploding with its internal pressure. She looked at it using her own power and the cloak was visible as a series of glowing lines that outlined the thing's body. They looked like contour lines, she thought, remembering her art lessons. She could see a weakness there where the lines seemed to become confused along the underside of the thorax. The thing made a cloak using its legs and could just could barely reach that one spot, so it did the best it could. It would be easy, she knew, to reach out with her power and touch that spot, cause the entire thing to become undone. The creature moved again, skillfully navigating the webbing, avoiding becoming entangled itself as it shifted over to one side. 
She could feel the web thrumming as it moved, but she could no longer see the thing. Drew pulled again, trying to free Warner both of her hands, and only became more hopelessly entangled. She could feel it getting closer. She realized then that she didn't actually need to use her hands to wield her power. She only did it to help her focus. She didn't even need to see the thing to attack it because she could clearly sense it, knew where it was, and, when she calmed down enough to focus, could find the spot she needed to attack. She closed her eyes and reached out. The thing was astonishingly close, fangs extended, and it was rearing back a bit, front legs extended upwards as it prepared to strike. That made it a little easier for her to reach out and tap that little place on its belly with her power. The thing backed up slightly as she did so, standing there trembling before it exploded, splashing its ichor all over Drew, who squinted her eyes shut. Yuck, she said, remembering Kula and wanting to get home so she could take a shower as quickly as possible. There was the sound of someone clapping behind her, and she could feel her father there just outside in the doorway. Someone else, Susan, was standing next to him, and she wondered how long they'd been there. Good work, he called. Can you help me with this stuff, Drew asked. Now that the creature is dead, it will weaken quickly. You will be able to free yourself in a few minutes. You actually left her here by herself to face that thing? Drew heard Susan ask. She did quite well. I knew she could handle it, even though she struggled a bit initially. The webbing was loosening, and Drew was able to pull her right hand free. She used that to start removing this stuff from her left hand and arm, then the rest of her body. The webbing in the whole room was fading without the power of the Umagan, Umagan to maintain it. Soon Drew was completely free, and she turned and walked out of the ruined church, covered with the remains of the creature. Susan looked at her, wide-eyed. You're an amazing kid, she said. Thank you, Drew said. Can we go home now? Her father snorted. Indeed we can. Thank you for destroying that thing, Susan said. It's what you hired us for, and now we must take our leave. He doffed his hat to Susan, turned, and started walking back towards the house where the pentagram was. Drew followed him. How do we get home, she whispered. Same way we got here, he said. Oh, so we don't have to walk? No, and you'll be able to have your bath in a short while. As he spoke, the whirlwind of power began at their feet, growing stronger quickly, and Drew could feel that this one would take them home. Hello, this is J. Franklin Evans. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories That Suck. Did it suck? Let me know. Be sure to like and subscribe.